is so good to see each and every one of you. It looks like you came through your carbohydrate comas okay and you survived. Who ate too much on Thanksgiving Day? Oh, look at this section. No, not us. We didn't overeat. You take that Bible verse about gluttony right in this area right here. The rest of us, we just admit to our sin. Isn't it so great to be with family on Thanksgiving, as Mike has said, just to smell the foods in the house, the pecan pies, the pumpkin pies, the Cool Whip, the noodles, the, the dressing. Dressing's my favorite food almost in the world next to a good cheeseburger. But dressing, you know, it's like, it's just a great time. And you really realize how blessed you are when you are with your family, your loved ones, and you are together celebrating God's goodness as a Christian family. God is good. It's hard to believe that today is the last Sunday of November. Next week, it's December. Can you believe it? I was just complaining that I want summer to last longer, and now we're getting ready for spring almost. Like, is that, it's got to be the older you get, it's got to do that. Because it didn't used to be like that in the early 20s. Time is flying by. And so today we conclude our four-part series, Abundance, with, I think, one of the most powerful graces of God in our life that is eternal and everlasting. The first week of Abundance, we talked about the everlasting love of God. How wonderful is that to have? The second week, the everlasting faithfulness of God. How great is that for us as individuals and as the church? Last week, we talked about the everlasting mercies of God. That His mercies are new every morning, abundantly provided for us. So His love, His faithfulness, his mercies. And today, the culmination of those three everlasting graces of God comes through the funnel of His everlasting forgiveness. His everlasting forgiveness. Now, I want to start this message off with a story that's true that's been taking place in my life, especially the last week, over this Thanksgiving weekend. To make a point, it's a little somber, but it's truly uh, important for all of us. So as many of you know, Art and Nadine Jacobs, Art is 86 years old, Nadine is 82. They've been married 62 years. 62 years. Six months to a year ago, Art was given a year to a year and a half to live. When recently, the shades were pulled and he went from 
being mobile to being extremely sick. And visiting him at the hospital, they called in the doctors and our wanted his family there and invited me in and they told him the best we can tell you is you have two days to live. Now that's a shocker for anybody, even if you're 86. Two days to live. We're not God, but you have two days to live. You have extreme lung issues, extreme kidney issues, extreme heart issues, and the culmination of all of those things, this blood pressure medicine that we have you on is what's keeping your blood pressure up. And as soon as we take you off of it, there will be a natural decline. And you will pass. And to see Nadine look at Art, and to Art to look at Nadine, and to see the, the turmoil that Art's feeling. He, he's, he's praising God in one voice, and the other with the flesh crying because who's going to take care of Nadine? And still, he would quote, Job 1.21 Naked I came into this world through my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Praise be the name of the Lord. Very centered man in his faith absolutely confident of where he stands in relationship to Jesus. But as I watched Nadine and Art look at each other, and between the thoughts of God and the, the tears of, I don't want to leave you behind because I want to care for you and make sure you're okay, I, I saw something that I feel like, God gave it to me for sure. Whether anybody else noticed it or not, it was for me, and it's for me in the future. And that is, for 62 years, Nadine has loved her husband. And she, with the rest of the family, and even myself, can be there but this is something that not even Nadine, his wife of 62 years, can go through with him. It's just him and the Lord. And he's at peace. You see, when we come to the end of our lives, it's just you and God. It's not you, God, and your spouse. It's not you, God, and your children. It's just you and God as you prepare to leave this earth. And so there's nothing more important. And I hope the Spirit pricks your hearts if He hasn't. Is to begin to project 
to visualize that kind of moment at some point in your life which moves you, hopefully, to be even more surrendered to the will of God so that on that day, whenever it is, you have the most peace you can in the Spirit, even though the flesh still hopes and hangs on to life. Art loves coffee. Why doesn't coffee taste like it used to? You can Google it. There's a lot of reasons. Talk to him about my percolator. Nothing makes coffee like the old percolators from the 70s. And you know what Art said after he'd just been told he got basically two days to live? Nadine, when I get out of here, we got to go to Goodwill and we got to find me a percolator. See, that's the spirit of us. We, we just hope. And plan, even though the doctors, you've got a few days. Are you at least thinking about, or will you ever contemplate? It's just you and God and your relationship surrounded by lovely people, but it's just you and God as you get ready to depart this life. Art's made it more than a couple of days. But the nurse is with him now, and it continues, and will be a short time. And Art will be with the Lord. That's somber. Seems like a downer. But the reality is, it's one of the most celebrated moments in a Christian's life. Because this world really isn't our home. And the salvation and the promise of everlasting life with God is His, and He's confident about it. He said, Patrick, when you preach my funeral, don't let them put me in a store-bought casket I want a box of pine because I don't deserve even a store-bought casket because Christ was placed in the tomb. Lord, I, you know, I don't know how to build that. But to his heart. Look where his heart is. We live in this world like we've got forever. We live in this world like we've got tomorrow. Even as believers. I know we can't live every day going, to, this might be it, this might be it. So they tell Art, you've got basically two days. They took him off the medication. And so what does he do all night as he coughs? Because it's one of the symptoms, this coughing. He said, I sat there and stared at the EKG and the blood pressure, waiting to see it go down. Wondered, is this, la is this the cough that's going to do it? Is this it? I mean, his mind was so sharp and clear and all night watching the machine like, when's God, is this it? And we talked about the, the thought that, you know, God has really blessed you with a clear mind and you can say things to your sons and your wife. You've got that opportunity and you're going to use that. But in the end, it's just, you and God. It's just Art and the Lord. And he knows, Art does, that he has God's forgiveness 
in his life. Look at this beautiful Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. In the Bible, you'll see uh, synonyms for the word sin, transgressions, iniquity, rebellion. Those words are all similar. But the psalmist, David, writes, looking at what God is prophesying that He is going to do for His creation, and he says, as far as the east is from the west, just to give us sort of a visualization. It's really incalculable what God has done. But as far as the greatest distance could be in this universe, of an expanding universe, according to most scientists, is that's how far God has removed the sins of His people from them. You think about the heavy load that God had to move. The weight of our sin, the weight of the sin of the world is what He's moved from one place to another. And the, the picture is that that weight was once upon you, but now it's been lifted and taken away by God Himself. And very often in the Scriptures, the word sin is tied to stench. And that stench has been taken away as well. He removed our transgressions from us. You are a sinner. I am a sinner. We are, by nature, sinful people. We transgress against God. We rebel against God. We commit iniquities against the God that loves us, that is faithful to us, and shows us all mercies. But He promises everlasting, eternal forgiveness on His part for His children who have faith and look to Him. Look at the way Isaiah prophesies about what's going to happen in God's time through God's Son. Come now, says Isaiah, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. So Isaiah, the prophet, makes it clear that the sins, even of God's people, are blood red. But what God's going to do in their life is wash them, purify them, cleanse them, make them whole, and uses this imagery as you will be white as snow. You will look like wool. See, when we look at each other, we look at each other through the lens of the flesh. Sinner, evil, hurtful. But whenever God looks at us, He looks at us through the lens of His Son. 
and he sees purity without blemish. As white as snow is the soul because it's cleansed, as we know, by the blood of Jesus. Now you tell me that God's abundance of forgiveness in your life, my life, the church's life, isn't so wonderful and such a great blessing, something to truly be celebrated as individuals. You know why? Because we know what we were. You know what you were. You failed. You shamed God. You weren't righteous. You hurt people. You're guilty. You know what you were. And even in Christ, we know what we are because this is how God sees us. Do you realize and do you embrace that you are as white as snow in terms of your purity in the sight of God? Now that's something worth claiming. And as we've said in this series, you know, especially in talking about God's steadfast love for us. Others may not love you. Others may not like you. They may hold grudges against you. They may think you've done them wrong. They may point their finger at you and judge you. That happens to all of us. But God is not like that. Because as high as the heavens are above the earth, so His ways are higher than our ways. And His love is constant. His faithfulness is true. His mercies are constant and new. And His forgiveness is overwhelming. But because that forgiveness is overwhelming and humbles us, Beyond belief, we take sin so seriously that we don't want it to be a part of our lives. We don't want to engage in the things that hurt God. We don't want to engage in the things that God says, this is sinful, that this is rebellious. We, we want to stay away from them because look at all these eternal blessings He has given me. But there's a problem, and that problem is sin. I love the way Isaiah puts it. Isaiah 59. In the book of Isaiah, the prophet, he starts off chapter 1 by talking about the sin and the rebellion of the southern kingdom of Judah, God's people, those two tribes. That's chapter 1. And ends in chapter 66 by talking about the hope of God for the people of Judah as they turn back to God. But here in chapter 59, surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. There's the problem. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear you. So Isaiah, writing to the people of Judah, in the Old Testament, talking to them that you are the apple of God's eye, 
but you have rebelled in your sin and your iniquity has separated you from God because that's what sin does in our life. Whether you call it a little sin or a big sin, if it's sin, it separates us from God. And if we're separated from God, we're not forgiven. And if we're not forgiven, we are lost. So how do you view sin? Have you went to the cross and asked Jesus to forgive you your sin? Have you confessed Him as your Lord and as your Savior? Have you repented of your sin and turned away from it? Have you been clothed with Christ through baptism and from that point, led as best you can a faithful life to God. Not a sinless life, not a perfect life, but the best life that you can because you love God. He touched your heart. Sin separates us from God. One of my favorite shows is The Waltons. You ever, anybody ever watched The Waltons you know, years ago? Remember John Walton? Olivia is always trying to get him to the, the river, the lake to be baptized, but he would he just, you know, I'm a religious man. I, I got, and there, you know, it's like, okay, he walks with God in his own way. I always want to sort of like inject myself into that show so I could talk to John Walton. Like, look, hey, John, these preachers over here that scream in hellfire and brimstone, that's not the point. The point is, Without the blood of Christ cleansing your soul, you are separated from God. If you're here today and you've not made the great confession and received Christ and believed Christ in faith, it doesn't matter if you're a religious person and, and the world is your church. You're separated from God because of your sin. There is no one good, not even one except God. And no matter how good you might be, you're not good enough. Without Christ, you're still in your sin. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, we're in good company here this morning. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. If you're a Christian, we've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. It's no longer we who live, but he who lives in us. And we struggle to give him more into our life each and every day. But the bottom line is, Paul proclaims to the world that Everybody is a sinner. And at some point, everybody is separated from God. And then he says, this is the wages of sin. Death. The wages of sin is death. And it's a sad thing 
to be in a hospital situation where someone has come to the term of my life's about over, whether they can acknowledge it or not, you know it's about over, and they've not accepted Christ. So as a church, let's begin to pray, those that we don't even know, that God would move through His Spirit, calling them to accept His Son. Even those of you who are here who have not accepted Jesus. And there are those of you here that's not accepted Jesus. And boy, it'll be a wonderful thing whenever you stand at that crossroads of leaving this world behind. The wages of sin is death. This is what Peter says. All the prophets testify about Him, Jesus, that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. This is how Paul puts it three chapters later. We tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors back in the Old Testament. Psalm 103, verse 12. He has fulfilled for us their children by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father, which is an expression of what God would do through his unique son as he brought him into this world through the incarnation that we will begin to celebrate through the month of December. What a powerful passage. So now back to Romans 3, and I just want to work through four or five verses with you. And I want you to see the heavy biblical language when it comes to salvation and what God has done through Christ by separating our sins from east to west and how He has done that. But now, apart from the law, because the law could not bring forgiveness of sin, that wasn't the purpose of the law. Whenever you read those 39 books of the Old Testament, Genesis to Malachi, they talk about the coming of the Messiah and what God would do through the Messiah, but they are not giving you actual forgiveness. What God did in the Old Testament with His people, there was the sacrifice of bulls and goats, and then there would be a scapegoat that would be let to go into the wilderness to signify the forgiveness of sin. But the ultimate forgiveness of sin would only come through the cross of Christ. And we'll see that in just a moment. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God. The word righteous is to be right with God. To be acceptable to God. And this here, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. What I just want you to see here is the Old Covenant and the New Covenant are in harmony. They fit together. The prophets testify about the Christ, and they work together, but they have their unique task at hand. One, the law, is to make us aware that we are imperfect, that we are sinners, and we cannot save ourselves, that we need a Savior, we need a Redeemer. And that's what Paul opens up saying that our acceptability, our right standing before God has been talked about and been made known by the prophets 
and they have testified. This righteousness or right standing is given through faith. Faith is trust. So there's another word. In Jesus Christ, you have to have faith in the right object. And here the right object is a person. It's Jesus' unique Son. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. We're all the same. No matter what our background, no matter what our nationality, no matter what our gender, male or female, no matter what our social standing, rich or poor, it doesn't matter. The righteousness comes by faith. Your trust in Jesus Christ. Your standing up and acknowledging Jesus Christ and there's no difference between any person. God is a God that does not show favoritism, the Scriptures tell us. For all have sinned, there we're back to what we looked at earlier, and fall short of God's glory. And are justified, there it is. Justified is a word that's the way in which this redemption comes into our life so that we are pure and spotless just as if we hadn't sinned. We are justified freely by His grace. So redemption, justification, faith. Now, grace freely through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. And so what you start to see is Jesus Christ is everything to His church. He is the Redeemer. He is the justifier. Because we just fall short no matter how hard we try. What takes a lot of pressure off whenever all you have to do is not perform, but trust. Not perform, but trust. And because you trust, yeah, we do perform. But we don't trust in the performance. We trust in the Redeemer, the Justifier, Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. This word presented literally means He was publicly exposed. And it's talking about when He was lifted up on the cross. And if you remember what John says, when He is lifted up, he will draw all men to Himself. So Christ is presented, He's lifted up as a sacrifice of atonement or some translations, propitiation, which means He is what appeased God regarding our sin. So when you hear someone talk about that He went to the cross for us, He carried our sin and shame. That's what atonement is. That's what propitiation is. Through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. There it is, our part, received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. So in the Old Testament, the sacrifice of bulls and goats and doves and pigeons. Just God's forbearance, not His actual forgiveness. Just It was just pushing it forward to 
the day of the cross. There it is. Look at it again. Because in God's forbearance, He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished, but now punishment would come, the wrath of God would come, but now we have Jesus, we have a Savior. God's forgiveness is abundant. It's everlasting. John tells us in 1 John that when we sin, the blood of Christ cleanses us. It's a perpetual cleansing for those who live in faith before God. There's times that you commit sin, you don't even know it, Steve, right? The blood of Christ cleanses you. There's times that you commit a sin and you don't have the wherewithal to be humble enough to say, God, forgive me of that. The blood of Christ cleanses us like a windshield wiper, wiping the rain off your windshield. That is the power of the blood of Jesus Christ for forgiveness for His children. He does it all. We have simple, trusting faith. What an abundance, an abundance of love, an abundance of faithfulness, an abundance of mercy, and an abundance of forgiveness. There is sin, right? Always at our doorstep. Always just one, one you know, step away from causing us to do something rebellious, sinful, right? I mean, it's true. This is what Paul says. The law was brought so that the trespass might increase. Why would you do that, Lord? See, Abraham didn't live under the law. Moses was the lawgiver. The law was given to show men that they are sinners. And by giving the law and saying, do this, but don't do that, honor your Lord when people did those things that went against the will of God, sin increased because there was a book. And here's the right and the wrong of it. And if you stray from what God has asked you to do, sin increases. It's just, you know, easy to understand. Where there's no law, nothing's really wrong. Where a law is giving, you go against that law, there's something wrong. It goes on the books. And a debt has to be paid at some point because there's punishment for sin. Blood has to be shed for sin. The law was brought so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, would you read this one with me? Grace increased all the more. Now that isn't a part of Scripture that says, now that you know that whenever you sin, His grace is going to increase all the more. So don't take it so serious, this thing called sin. Just go live your life. And you know, God's got it covered because where you sin, grace is going to increase. That is just the wrong way of thinking about sin. But it's the truth. Tell me that's not a passage right there that talks about abundance. Where sin increased in my life. Your life, His grace, His free grace, increased all the more. Be like standing in water that's over your head in sin. And then God just raises you up above it. And then 
you do some more stuff and you go back under, but God raises you up. Church, as far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed your sin from you. Now that is a wonderful, good, kind God. He knows that we're weak and He doesn't leave us to ourselves to perform, to earn, to deserve. But because of the mercy, because of the faithfulness, and because of His love, He forgives through the blood of Jesus Christ. I sit here and think of the blow this church has taken over the last six or seven months. The loss of Ron Carpenter, an elderly saint. The loss of Bill Bremer, an elderly saint. The loss of Roger Tenbrink, an elderly saint. And soon, the loss of Arthur Jacobs, an elderly saint. And I want the same hope if God so foreordains and I'm laid back on that bed and my wife is sitting there looking at me to know I appreciate her love. I'm so thankful for Ashley and Jabez and the grandsons being here. But it's God that matters most in this moment. Naked I came into this world through my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God's abundance, His everlasting forgiveness is yours. You are as white as wool. You are as white as snow. Own who you are in humility before your God. And praise His name. Let us stand together.